Well, good evening, friends, fans, and colleagues, and welcome back to uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. Uh, It's Wednesday night, so it must be VSF, and I want to thank all my uh, longtime listeners and uh, those who are possibly new to the show. Welcome, welcome. And uh, a shout goes out to um, uh, the band Be Optimistic. Uh, That's uh, who you were listening to opening the show tonight. And that was a cut uh, titled Maria. And uh, that's kind of a tribute to, uh, to Mary, to Goddess, to the Sacred Feminine. And uh, we want to thank them for that uh, nice, upbeat opening that is Be Optimistic uh, from across the pond. And uh, I can imagine so many of you out there, you're either listening to the show from uh, some airport waiting room or uh, you're in traffic on the way to the airport or you're standing in your kitchen uh, making food for tomorrow. Um, Thank you, thank you if Voices of the Sacred Feminine uh, is your choice for uh, how you spend your time. Uh, As I always say, you are the gas in my tank, and I hope whatever you you have planned for the next few days, um, however you celebrate the holiday, and however you look at the holiday, um, I hope you uh, have chosen something for yourself that is fun and enjoyable, uh, something that will bring you joy. Uh, I know sometimes I can go off uh, onto a rant about the true meaning of Thanksgiving, uh, but I don't want to be cliche, uh, or I could go on about our sanitized version of Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I think if you're a listener of mine, you already know, but let's take advantage of the holiday to be with friends and loved ones, and uh, let's that be our holiday. So, uh, moving on to uh, the show tonight, uh, I am so happy to have with me uh, a longtime friend. Uh, she is a storyteller, screenwriter. She's the author of dozens of books, and she's an inspirational speaker. Her name is Esther Luttrell. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about searching for life after death and ancient goddesses. I've kind of dubbed tonight's uh, show uh, Conversations with Esther. <laughs> it's kind of a diverse topic, but uh, trust me, I think uh, you know you'll enjoy our banter tonight. Uh, you know, I first met Esther uh, through uh, her short but profound book about discovering her son Dean on the other side. And yes, I do mean the other side. He had passed on, and she'd written this book about that experience called "Dear Dean, Love Mom." And it's really true uh, when I say I almost missed my own radio show uh, because I was reading it in the hours leading up to one of my shows, and I was so engrossed. I mean, uh, she is an incredible storyteller, although, um, you know, as as I'm sure she will tell you soon, which she wrote in the book was true. uh, But, you know, she has a way of really telling a great story. And quite literally, I could not put the book down, and uh, I, I just tuned in 
into my switchboard in time to, uh, you know, to not be late uh, for, for my own show that night. And since that time, uh, Esther and I have become friends, and I'm happy to chat with her again tonight as we discuss um, several other stories she's curated over the years from others who uh, have had profound experiences with those on the other side. Um, she'll tell you about the, that other book she's written. I believe it's called Evidence of God. That might be the title. And, um, you know, Esther and I have been talking for a long time about uh, ancient goddesses and how we could bring uh, that knowledge um, to the mainstream media and, you know, into the mainstream world. So um, that's where our conversation is going to go tonight, kind of all over the place. But, uh, you know, just sit back, grab a glass of wine or a cup of tea, and just, uh, you know, kind of enjoy listening to your girlfriends uh, chat about uh, the stuff that's, um, you know, at the front of their mind tonight. So, Esther, welcome, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah, but you sound, you're getting younger. Pretty soon you're going to be in the fetal position. You're just getting younger all the time. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know, know do about that. that. <laughs> uh, you know, with all the transitions afoot, I'm, uh, young is not uh, one of the descriptions I'd use for how I feel right now, but uh, I, I, I can say I am very optimistic and uh, looking, you know, looking ahead with, uh, you know, with, with expectation and, uh uh, gratitude and a positive mindset. So I guess those are good things to be uh, grateful for, uh, you know, and thankful for this uh, at this holiday period. Well, I know you're going through a lot of things right now, and I was actually thinking about that this afternoon, what all you're going through with all the changes in your life. It's interesting how the universe sort of gooses you. And even if you don't want to move quickly, you kind of have to. And you learn a kind of universal dance, keeping up, keeping your equilibrium, making choices, not getting bitter about the things that are foisted off on you that you think you don't want or need. And it's, you know, I wrote you and told you I was sending you a link in case I went off on a tangent and started talking about some incredible figures. But this really does segue into it beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, it, it's it, it's interesting. You know, I'm I'm a Virgo, and I like everything nice and neat and tied up in a bow, and I yes. like a clear path ahead. And I, and this is not like that. You know, uh, I you know this is a, a a point in my life where I really have to trust. Um, and and just have faith that what is unfolding um, is a gift, and it's lemonade and not lemons. And I truly believe it is. Um, and and I, I, it has um, uh, awakened so much in me, quite frankly. And one of the things it has awakened is this ability to surrender and trust that this path ahead. Um, is really meant to be better things, you know, to, to trust in the next phase of life. And uh, I know that's not easy to do, but it, I feel like when you don't fight it, um, things kind of flow in a, in a smooth way, if you will. And if you kind of just go along with it and don't fight it, I, it feels like you're in the flow, and that makes a big difference. Oh, visualize yourself stepping into a fast-moving creek. Now, you can determine that you're going to swim 
against the little flow or the big flow, or you can just go with it. Which way is going to be probably the least stressful, the most pleasant? (laughs) Because like it or not, that water is flowing, and it's going to take you with it. So it's your choice as to how you go. You know, life happens to us, but what we do about it, that is doggone it a choice. You know, know, a woman came up to me in a parking lot some time back, and she said the wrong thing to this lady. She says, can you give me some money? I've just had a terrible time, and, and I really need some money. I said, you've had a terrible time. You've had a terrible time. I have had children who have died. I have had husbands who have walked off and left me, and you are telling me that you have had a hard time, and you're coming to me. Listen here. Get your bottom in gear and go out and do something <laughs> about it. You're making a choice, and you're making the wrong one by coming to this lady to say that. <laughs> I think she probably reported me to the insane asylum or something. But, <laughs> but I was so mad. <laughs> well, you know, you know one, thing, one thing I have learned is that even when things go awry or they seem to be going awry, um, is that there's always a gift in it. And, you know, it, it has been rare that I have not been able to find the gift. And even now I find the gift, you know, and I've, I feel like there's probably even more gifts ahead that will reveal themselves in time, and I'll probably share them here on the show. <laughs> um, well, but you know. there again, that's a choice. You could get so angry, so bitter, that you don't see the gift. You know? Yeah. I think so many right. times we close off. Uh, somebody said to me, uh, and they were always angry, uh, why does this keep happening to me? Why doesn't anything good ever happen to me? And I said, because you can't put anything in a closed fist, my dear. You can't. <laughs> can't give mm-hmm. you a gift if you're going to fight it all the way, you know? Yeah. yeah. Life is just going to change, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah, and and we all do resist change. I mean, they say some of the most stressful things you do are move, change jobs, deal with an illness, um, you know, and a a number of other things. And I think I've had three of the top five, you know, all come down in the last few months. So um, uh, some people have said, Karen, I can't believe you're still doing your radio show. I can't believe you're uh, promoting a new book. And, you know, how do you find the time? And it's like... I don't know. I think I I do it to keep me sane. (laughs) And you come back with, I made the choice to do it. (laughs) Because, you know, I I have a friend, God love him, he's he's just getting into the serious stages of Alzheimer's, and he knew it was coming. He's known it for the last couple of three years, and he's so bitter. He's so mad about it. Well, he is in a retirement home, and there are activities all around him. And it's a lovely place. I mean, you know, we can say that because we don't live there, but to all appearances, it's a lovely place. Now, if you're going to be there anyway, does it make any sense to be there in bitterness? Does it make any sense? Because you're making a choice to make your life worse. I, yeah. I I feel so bad because he's so angry. But yeah. I sound so trite when I say it, but it is a choice. And let me tell you, I, those that uh, link I sent you, 
talking about moving and earth moving, and earlier this evening, why do I have the feeling that there's going to be a place in our conversation where this is going to make sense and fit in? I had no idea. Because in your wisdom, Karen, you had asked me for talking points. And in my complete confusion about what I'm going to say from one minute to the next, I couldn't think of any talking points. But I knew that you're a great conversationalist and you're a bright girl. And we both just talk until the moon falls out of the sky practically. Uh, you can't tell me that we need talking points because we're going to figure out what to talk about. Because we're surrounded by girlfriends. I mean, they're all, like you say, they're drinking their wine, drinking their tea, chasing a little kid with their diapers down the hallway. They're doing something. There are other females out there, and we're all connecting. But I wanted to mention, I wanted to bring this up. I gave this in a in a talk last Christmas, and it really stuck with me. People say, I'm so bored. Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening in my life. What would you do today? Nothing. No. Kara, I want you to think about this. It also applies to the person who says, I don't believe anything you girls are talking about. Nothing. I only believe in something solid and what I can see. And you're going to be talking about goddesses and about attitudes, about choices. I don't believe in anything that has to do with metaphysics or has to do with anything spiritual. I believe in only what I can see. Okay. So to those two frames of mind, I want to remind everybody of something. When you say you haven't done anything or you say you don't believe in anything, I want you to take a marble and dip it into a basin of water and tell me how long that water adheres to the marble. It isn't going to adhere. So how come, when you look at pictures of the planet, all of those oceans are hanging on to this round thing? How is that happening? Why is it spilling a drop of water? And the truth is, this is incredible, Karen. This is why we, when you're going through what you're going through, I go what I'm going through, our friends out there are going through what they're going through. Keep it in perspective because we are on a planet that is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. And that's why it spins around and it makes a whole little little rotation there. In 24 hours, 1,000 miles an hour. But the Earth is going around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. Now visualize that. There's the sun. Here we are in the orbit going around at 66,000 miles an hour. But we're also going round and round and round on our little little rotation thing there. We're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. The sun itself is hurling through space, dragging us. And in its magnetic field, of course, it's going 43,000 miles an hour through space, dragging all of the planets in its field or with it at that same rate. So we're going through space at 43,000 miles an hour. We're going around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. And we're spinning like on our toe at 1,000 miles an hour. But listen to this. We're part of the Milky Way. The Milky Way, like a pinwheel, is going through space at 1.3 million miles an hour. Every nanosecond, we have just gone into a place in the galaxies, in space, where no man has ever gone before. And you say 
What'd you do today? Nothing. Not true. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> you don't believe in anything? Okay, tell me how that water's hanging on to this round planet. It's because it's going fast, you silly person, and you're only not falling off because it's going so fast. Believe in what you don't see because what you don't see is the only thing that's real. Well, I was just about to say that. Yeah, I mean, you don't see gravity. You don't see centrifugal force. Exactly. You know, you don't... You don't see all of those things, but you no. know we sure can feel them, can't we? You know, um, well. I, I, I was just I, I stumbled onto yesterday um, the old movie with Jodie Foster, Contact, where she yeah. was a yep. scientist and uh-huh. she uh, got got chosen to ride in the spacecraft and she ended up going through all of these wormholes and 18 hours flashed in a matter of seconds and, you know, she met E.T. and E.T. on the other side in the guise of her father and he imparted some wisdom, and then he sent her back. And because she didn't have any tangible proof, she only had what she experienced. Um, nobody would believe her, or at least a lot of the scientists didn't believe her. But you know, other other people did believe her. And I don't know why, but that seemed appropriate to throw in now, considering what you're talking about. <laughs> well, we're talking about the fact that when things look undeniably bleak. You have to remember that the circumstances that you're walking through at the moment, they only appear to be real. And the only thing that gives it reality anyway is your attitude about it. You know, I Mm. was at a a UPS store one day, and a woman, a young girl, she turned out to be 19, was on her cell phone talking to probably another girlfriend, and, of course, a guy at 19, of course, a guy, had just walked off and left her or something, and she was just beside herself. And it was so bad. We're standing here at a UPS shop, and, and we're the only two in there aside from the clerk. And she was going on and on about how life was over and all of that. So being a bucket mouth, I just had to say something. I couldn't stand still. So when she hung up, I said, excuse me. Of course, I couldn't help but overhear you. But let me tell you, you're how old? She said, 19. I said, there's a wonderful thing about 19. It has Novocaine in it. For I don't know why, but when you're 40 and somebody will say to you, do you remember that day you were at the UPS store and you just thought your world had ended because he walked out on you and you're going to say, you know, Sort of. Not really. It seems so long ago. I don't remember the details. That's the blessing about being 19. (laughs) You know, I mean, everything that, that seems like our total reality at any time is just something we're passing through. And believe right. it or not, this this does tie into our quest for goddesses. You, people are wondering how they going yeah. to make that curve. <laughs> but it, <laughs> well, I. I I, I was I was going to segue over to uh, well I mean you know goddess you know goddess to me is uh, you know not just 
a deity that may have been, you know, worshipped in ancient times. You know, it's uh, it's it is deity then and now. It's it's um, it's archetype. It's ideal, and you know, and and you know, many of those ideals are this interconnection. You know, with the uh, you know, we are a microcosm of the macrocosm. You know, it's this. You know, we are part of this cosmic soup um and uh you know and, and and it is about you know being you know not just in our head but being in our body and um understanding all of these things you know that that we're talking about and 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 we'll get to that but you know i i, I think maybe one of the most interesting things uh to, you know to listeners esther um or your the the stories that you've curated um from people who have uh had what they believe are experiences uh with others on the other side i mean speak a little bit about you know maybe some of the high points of your your belief that you actually communicated with your son dean after his death and you know maybe tell one or two stories uh you know of some of these other people um like like the guy for instance who helped his wife get the book published um, you know, maybe just oh, tell a couple of those little stories. Um, yeah, I, I think so listeners would really be interested. I think you're talking about Gladys Hargis, uh, the one I met at the library. Is that the one you're talking about? about her, um, well, uh, it book? was the, the yeah. I know the, the guy. Is, the sure. guy who brought you brought you her book. You yeah. were at a fair or something, and yes. yeah. I tell you, well, let me tell you what I find so astounding about that. You and I really have not talked about what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we just trusted each other that we could have a conversation that other people might find a little bit interesting. So about oh half hour ago, I thought, uh, maybe I should write down something just in case I get stuck. <laughs> so what did I write? Right here, I can read you my note. It says, Gladys Hargis, talk about meeting Mary in the garden. And so that's the only note that I really made about anything I wanted to talk about. Um, so we we are, let's hope, on the same wavelength and uh, hopefully tuned in to what people would like to hear about. I'm going to okay, okay, well. I'll launch it. You know what I was going to ask you, and we are going to make this U-turn and get back to it. I want to ask you how you started your journey toward what became a DVD that that you made or that we had made to try to make a series out of In Search of Ancient Goddesses. I think that's a fascinating story, and I don't want us to get away from the evening without talking about that. So will you remind me that that's really important? Sure, sure. We'll go back to that. Okay. All right, well... All right, talking about life after death. First of all, you have to remember that as a little girl, remember me telling you I used to sit on my grandmother's feather bed, and she just they had a studio apartment, had a duplex actually in Tampa. And in this one huge room was her feather bed, and at the end of the bed was a rocking chair, and over on the left was a sofa. And so when Mom and I would go and visit Grandma and Grandpa, I'd sit on the feather bed and play with her button box. Remember, Grandmas used to have button boxes. (laughs) 
And at the foot of the bed in the rocking chair was my granddad. And I just loved him. He always had on a white shirt, a black bow tie, a black sweater, and black trousers. Very dignified, had a pipe. Um, And Mom and Grandma would sit on the sofa and just yak, 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 yak. So I had my button box, and there's Grandpa rocking gently and smoking his pipe. And every now and then he'd look at me, and he'd just have a little twinkle in his eye, and he'd sort of give me a half smile. And then Mom and Grandma just talk, talk, talk. I was many years later talking to my aunt and commented on what a comfort it was that Grandpa was always there, was such a strong figure, but I never remembered him talking, just that darling smile. But I didn't remember him ever saying anything. What did my aunt say? Do you remember that story? I do. Well, you're reminding me. I had forgotten about it till now. Yeah. She said, well, I guess you didn't hear him talk. He died years before you were ever born. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to hear that all these years later when I think I had a real grandpa there. Right. So I think that I was, I didn't question uh, the fact that loved ones never leave us. I didn't. uh, So later when Dean died, uh, Dean and I both had a very different attitude about, about death than a lot of people I think do. Didn't mean I didn't fall on my knees and cry until I thought I was just going to throw up. I certainly did and hurt until I couldn't hardly breathe. But that was my problem. I didn't for a second doubt that Dean continued on and that Dean was fine. I wasn't so fine. He was fine. So, let's see, he died uh, April 17th, nineteen ninety. Five four nineteen ninety four, and it was um, gosh, a couple of three months later, and I was sitting in my oh, I was going to tell you about Gladys Hargis. Are you sure you want to hear this? Okay, first? but yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go <laughs> ahead. You're, you're halfway, you're halfway into it now. <laughs> All right, just dawned on me. Wait a minute, am I even answering your question, or did I get off track here? No, no, um, no, no, no. You're good. We'll work, we'll work back around to Gladys. Uh, anyway, so I was sitting at my, I had a, a home office, and uh, my desk butted up against a great big plate glass window, a great big double window that looked out onto my driveway. And I'm at the at my desk, and the phone rings. And it was a woman I had never heard of, never met, And she's calling me all the way across the country. She was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I was in L.A. And she said she had seen my name or heard it or seen it. I think she saw it in some article. And she started crying and shaking. Remember that story? She started crying and shaking. And she said, I just had to call you because I'm not a crazy woman. I'm a businesswoman. I'm a creative woman, but I'm not crazy, and I don't know why I react like that um, just seeing your name. And I had to call and talk to you. And I said, gosh, I don't know either. And uh, so we tried to figure out if we'd ever met, and, of course, we hadn't. And uh, all of a sudden she said, well, I don't think I'm – I'm 
not thinking very well because my son killed himself recently and I'm still dealing with his death. And for the first time, I sort of perked up. I said, oh, my son just died recently, too. Turned out her son was a couple of years older or younger than D. Well, quite a bit. I think he was 19 or so. And uh, anyway, so she's telling me the circumstances of how he came to commit suicide. And obviously, she adored this young son. While she's talking, I just happened to glance out the window. I remember I was standing at my desk, and I happened to glance. And on the other side of the window was a flower bed, only about three feet wide. And then there's the driveway. Standing right there on the other side of the flower bed was Dean. And he had on you know, a shirt and jeans and tennis shoes. But beside him was a young man, and that young man was about 19, and he had his left arm, elbow actually, kind of propped up on Dean's shoulder, you know, just like one buddy leaning against another. He had his arm propped up on Dean's shoulder, and and they were both grinning at me, great big grins, just as three-dimensional just as full of life as if they were actually there in person, you know. And uh, I just thought, that must be this woman's son. And so I interrupted the lady and said, excuse me, my son is right outside my window. Well, I just told her my son died. And she said, your son? And I said, yes, but he has a young man with him. May I describe him to you? And she said, yes. And so I said, he has on, well, I think I started out with, he's my son's height, that's what I said, which would make him about 5'9". And he's built like my son, slender, but he's more toned. I remember saying that so well. He's more toned as if he plays sports. And then I remember thinking, oh, I don't want her to picture a linebacker. So I quickly said, not football, more like maybe basketball or something, very toned. And I said, um, probably about my son's weight, which would put him about 135, 140. And then I told her that he had the deepest dimples I think I've ever seen on a young man. And she sort of caught her breath. And she said, what color is his hair? And I said, well, it's either a light brown or a dirty blonde, whichever you want to say, but it's curly. It's like natural curly, and it comes to the top of his collar. He has on a an aqua and white striped T-shirt with a little collar, and I said, it comes to the color. I said, but I can see the color of his eyes very well. They're hazel. And uh, then I said, he had on blue jeans. And she started crying, and she said, that's my son, and that's what he was wearing when he died. And these two guys were just grinning at me so big. And I (laughs) sort of had the feeling that Dean was saying, see, Mom, tell her. Tell her. Life's eternal. Mm -hmm. Life's eternal. We didn't go anywhere. And then he just disappeared. They just were vanished. And I said to her, my son came to let you know that your son is just fine. I thought wow. that was amazing. <laughs> it, 
You know, I can, I can listen to you tell these stories um, just over and over again. I mean, there's a there's such a sense of comfort, continuity. Um, I, you know, I, I the the words kind of fail me right now. But uh, you know, I, I I love the stories, and and that wasn't the only time. weren't um, weren't you uh, gifted with one or two other times that you actually saw Dean again? No. There was a time where, well, let me let me just add something, a little P.S. to that story, because I think Karen, we have to take this woman who called me, never met me, never heard of me before she read a little article about me in a Florida paper. I used to remember the name of the paper, and I can't think of it right now. But anyway, the fact that she called out of the blue that she started shaking and crying and called my number. And then Dean appeared for the first time and had this young man with him. If, if, if her son's name was Arthur, as I recall, if Arthur had appeared to her and if Dean had appeared to me by himself and me by myself, I can tell you right now, I would have believed it at the moment because you couldn't deny it. It was there, three-dimensional. It was there. But later, I would have asked myself if I wasn't sure. I just imagined it because I wanted it to be so. Mm -hmm. I think the reason that that they didn't appear to us individually was confirmation. Yeah. Because even now, I mean, I, I... yeah, I'm sorry. It was so much more. It well, it was so much more profound the way it happened because you could have easily dismissed it if mm-hmm. he had just appeared to you. Like you said, it would have, you would have chalked it up to wishful thinking or something. I would because even now, all these years later, every now and then I'll think, oh, that couldn't have happened. That could not. What could have happened that made me think that happened? And I thought, no, I can't deny it because of that woman. And her phone call. Right, so, uh, right, out yeah. of the blue. Yeah. Well, so um, Esther, we're going to take a we're going to take a quick break here um, because I owe Joe Carson a commercial, and when we come back, um, we're gonna you're going to tell the Gladys story, okay? Okay, whatever you want to do. Okay, hang on. Okay. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming, and it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen, we all hallucinate, we all go into a state of consciousness, that for me is the collective unconscious. This psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes from the past and right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales. 
all the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. Well, that was a little excerpt uh, from the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, which is uh, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. Uh, in it, Joe interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, the return of goddesses Gaia. Uh, Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. And these spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. You know, if you've always wanted to see these sites yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones right from the comfort of your armchair, and you can actually get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20, and you find it at DancingWithGaia.com, DancingWithGaia.com. So, Esther, back to what we were talking about. It's it's well, funny, you, as I was you... listening to the words of that commercial. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, almost as, it's almost as if what we were talking about ourselves. It's true. How do you spell Gaia? G-A-I-A. That was just, that was for the, anybody who might be listening who might want to do that and didn't know how to spell Gaia. Um you know what I was thinking while you while I was listening to uh, who is that talking? Who did that voice? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. It's uh, it's one of the uh, uh, people who's in the film, um, mm. but she has so many of them. I, I I don't know who that particular one is. Well, what I was thinking as I was listening to it was how much I want to get into how how you started looking for goddesses and then how you came up with this absolutely fantastic concept of doing a television series. You know, I wish people would write in and tell you how much they would love to watch a series like In Search <laughs> Of. Remember, Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of. Yours would be In Search Of Ancient Goddesses. I would yep. tune into that program. I see it being done like a Robin Leach doing, you know, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous or like Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of. But you actually, how many of those did you, the sites did you actually visit of where the ancient goddesses had their influences? How much of that did you, know, you we, did you read about or did you uh, go? Yeah. No, we went. Um, I mean, uh-huh. we were, uh, as it turned out, uh, my husband and I, Roy and I, were part-time travel agents at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, we also were had uh, a timeshare. And so we used the two. You know, we used the discount travel that we got from being travel agents and the timeshare and, you know, sometimes. And we traveled across five continents uh, chasing down sacred sites that were either uh, ancient sacred sites of goddess or living traditions where they still are 
you know, worshiping a feminine face of God. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, I, I think I had to do that for myself because um, I'm, you know, I'm a, I call myself a recovering Catholic. You know, I grew up in the Bible Belt <laughs> in New Orleans, Louisiana, and nobody talked about goddesses in the Bible Belt. You know, the, the only uh, feminine faces that were in any religion were, uh, were Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, who they still consider, you know, the repentant, repentant prostitute. You know, I, don't, I think a lot of people didn't get the message down there that, you know, that was uh that story was uh you know mis uh you know misinformation and um you know so the idea of finding a feminine face of god i mean that didn't uh enter my psyche till uh i was 30 years old and moved to california and um, but the thing about it is, what's interesting, and um, I, I can't dismiss it, uh, you know, just uh, out of hand, is that um, I was always drawn to ancient cultures, especially ancient mm-hmm. Egyptian cultures. And mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know, when I got out here, you know, how that, that old saying, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, you know, Absolutely. I stumbled on... Yeah, I mean, I stumbled onto these women who were in the Temple of Isis, and uh, that really, that and this fluff class, I mean, I call it a fluff class because uh, it, it was at something we had out here that is no more. It was the learning annex, and you could go and spend $25 and go to a class and get a crash course I, and all different sorts of things. I did that when I lived out there. I did that. Don't forget, okay. I lived in Studio City, Burbank, uh, ended up being oh, 14 years in Seal Beach. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, when I was working in the film industry, I was out there for, what, 18 years or something like that? Long time. Long time. So I, I totally that forgot that. I Annex. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so I went to a learning annex class on goddess. Now, you know, they were approaching goddess from the standpoint of a woman finding the goddess within, and that's just one sort of morsel of it. You know, I mean, it's far from the whole. You know, you could approach it from a historical perspective, a spiritual perspective. Um, I, I mean, a social justice perspective. I mean, there's so many different ways to enter into goddess art history, um, and and women find the sacred feminine so many different ways. But but that was what it was for me. It was this fluff class that cracked the door open. And then when I found these women who were into the Temple of Isis, I sort of married that um, interest in ancient cultures, especially Egypt, with these women who were now introducing me to these incredible goddesses of Egypt. And, and then you find out, well, in Egypt, you know, women had more power and influence. Influence. I mean, you know, look at uh, uh, Queen Hatshepsut and, you know, all the others, you know, it wasn't, you know, for women in Egypt, you know, they had a higher class, they could own property, they could divorce their husbands, it, you know, wasn't like it was for so many uh, women under patriarchy and other parts of the world. So anyway, I mean, that was just, you know, that we're talking about like the mid 90s. 
And um, so, you know, it's been this long journey of, of self-discovery. And I think mm-hmm. when women first find the feminine face of God, it's about personal empowerment. And then they, then when they expand beyond just what can it do for me, how does it empower me, well, you start to realize that the values associated with it are anti-patriarchal. And if we adopted those ideas around the world, it could change the world. And um, and that's what's kept me interested, you know, the to changing changing the world. Quite frankly, when you started your search for ancient goddesses, what is the uh, most ancient of all the goddesses you ran into? Where does it all kind of begin, as far as your knowledge goes? Well, you know, it it uh, goes back to the earliest uh, civilizations. You know, in in Sumeria, um, you know, you have Inanna Ishtar. Um, I think those are are probably uh, the very earliest. And then you start to see how a lot of that symbolism and and mythology just gets, um, you know, the baton gets passed uh, because it's interesting. Um, a lot of the symbolism that even belongs to Jesus and Mary, um, it actually belonged to goddesses way before the time of Jesus and Mary. Um, you know, so, I mean, Merlin Stone was one of the um, foremothers whose books I really enjoyed, and she talks about how the Garden of Eden myth was one of the first pieces of political propaganda that started to try to marginalize the feminine face of God and demonize the female to make way for um, a gender shift and, you know, enable the patriarchy to start to take hold and justify male superiority and dominance uh, because we think, you know, that there was a time when society was what we call egalitarian or some people say equalitarian now, uh, you know, to make it more clear, you know, when the genders, uh, you know, when there wasn't this gender disparity, you know, that we have now with um, you know, there being, you know, this uh, this hierarchy of God, man, and everything below in service to God and man. I mean, look at the women you still have today, especially in, um, you know, evangelical women, you know, who say that, you know, they have to submit to their husbands, they have to vote like their husbands tell them to vote, uh, you know, and all the rest. You know, they've sort of traded their uh, autonomy, their independence, their um, you know, the, their own critical thinking uh, to be taken care of. Um, and, you know, some of us would say dominated by, oppressed by, um, you, know, the, you know, the men in their lives, you know, the patriarchy, whether it be their husband, their, their brother, their uh, father, the, the rabbi. Um, I mean, that's not to say all men do that and do a a horrible job, uh, you know, in how they treat their women, but it it disturbs me that so many women are so willing to be subservient. Um, I mean, if that's truly what they – go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. 
Well, I was just going to say, I mean, if that's truly what they want, that's fine. But I think sometimes when you grow up in a culture where that's all you ever see or know or, the, uh, or you know, and, and you don't really have a choice or you don't really get a taste of anything else, because I, I know that's what it was like for me growing up in the South. You know, you don't get exposed to anything but what appears to be normal, and you just accept it as normal, and you don't know that that maybe there are other options. And it disturbs me, I think, that, um, you know, some women are are willing to, um, I I mean, like, well, you know, I don't want to get political, but, you know, women will vote against their economic interests. You know, women will prop up uh, fascism and the Ku Klux Klan and all sorts of uh, horrible things, you know, even uh, bad religion, uh, if, if if they benefit from it. And, eh, you know, maybe that's kind of going off on a tangent, but um, it it disturbs me a bit. And I think the sacred feminine is is more about women empowering themselves rather than being subservient. When, what was the first goddess that you were aware of that influenced an entire civilization or an entire society. And we're going back to the ancient times now. What was the first yeah. one that you're aware of, and why did she wield such influence? How did she How did she exert her, and was she real, or was she a myth? Well, you know, I, the, I, I mean, to me, I've, it, the answer is, is Isis. I mean, there would be other people who would probably say other goddesses, but um, Isis is, uh, you know, it was a goddess that uh, people felt could really hear their prayers. You know, people could, uh, they could really relate to her. You know, she but was this all-encompassing. Well, how, how was that idea born? Well, it, it you know it it was through the the myths you know I mean it it I mean how how do we know Jesus you know we know Jesus through the teachings of the clergy you know well we knew you know we knew about Isis through the teachings of uh, her clergy as well you know there had uh, the, to be you know, some the... incident there had to be something for instance uh, every society every civilization has a story about a great flood. So it stands mm-hmm. to reason there really was a great flood. When mm-hmm. when a woman, an image of a woman, an idea of a woman, can influence entire societies, it had to have begun with a grain of truth. It had to have begun well, somewhere. Well, you know... It- I, I mean, I don't know that we will ever know whether she was a real woman who walked the face of the earth or whether she was a myth. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's it's hard to know that. But, I mean, worship of Isis spread all you, – you look at the Roman Empire. I mean, mm-hmm. the worship of Isis spread to Rome and spread out into all regions of the world that Rome conquered – 
And uh, I mean, they say worship of ISIS even went down the Silk Road to China. Uh, I mean, it was it was all up in Turkey. It went as you know far east as uh, you know England and, and Ireland and you know all over um, you know uh, Western Europe. Um, so you know she was. They call her a universal goddess, like Artemis. You know she was one of these goddesses that everybody flocked to, just like Mary. You know, um, but she was a predecessor of Mary. Uh, you know, in, in a way, if you ask me, Long because before, I mean, Mary actually, when you stop and think, Jesus only died two thousand years ago. That's that's just a moment ago in time. Right. I'm actually going right. back further than that. You know, I was hired to write uh, uh, the Book of Revelation as a screenplay, and that was about uh, about eleven years ago. And uh, I, that was the one Bible, that was the one book in the Bible I couldn't read because I didn't understand it and it scared me. And I I didn't like the images it conjured up. I didn't understand it anyway. And uh, so I won't go through the whole boring story for you, but uh, my client arranged for me to go to an isolated, uh, actually it was a camp, on about 3,000 acres, and I was the only person there, and it was Christmas week, so it was snowing, and my dog and I went, and I didn't take a clock, I didn't take food, I took fruit, and um, I didn't go to bed, I had no idea what time it was, I just, I never went to bed, I would go lie down on the sofa when I got tired and sleep for a couple of hours and get up and write again, but then I finished the screenplay in one week, but that's, that's incredible, because it you know, I wrote Tayata, the film that came out recently, and it took me 18 months. <laughs> but, but that one took a week, and that's because I asked for divine guidance, and I got it. What amazed me in my research was that in Ephesus, which was a port town, as you know, in Turkey, a very important port town, and, and um, where Timothy and, and Paul uh, were very involved in starting that there, there's seven churches and so on. As you came into the main street, the most important, it was all lined with temples, but mm-hmm. the predominant one was Diane's, the temple to the goddess Diane. And Timothy and Paul would despair over the fact that they couldn't get hardly anybody to come to their little home church services because they were all flooding into the big temple of Diane. So it shows mm-hmm. you even 2,000 years ago what a tremendous influence the goddesses had. Yeah. Well, Artemis, you know, Artemis, you know, uh, Paul was trying to get people to give up their worship of Artemis. And, you know, he was run out of town on a rail, lucky to be alive. I mean, and that's in the Bible. Um, and uh, and some people associate Diana with Artemis. I, I think you might be referring to Artemis because Artemis had her temple there in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. It was, and yes. um, yeah, yeah. And um, it it's it, it. But then what happens is, you know, when uh, Christianity rolls in and starts exerting its uh, power and influence, you know, if you were a pagan worshiping Artemis, well, you had to give her up 
or 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 your life was threatened. So would would basically they you know what the people did much like the Yorubans did, uh, you know when they had Christianity uh, forced on them, you know they they sort of just uh, syncretized uh, Artemis and Mary. So all of Artemis's attributes get passed on to Mary, and they're they're still you know they're worshiping their goddess now in the safe guise of Mary as opposed to the pagan Artemis or like in the case of the Yorubans you know the slaves that were you know stolen out of Africa um, you know they just uh, overlaid Catholicism onto all of their um, old gods and um, you know so that they you know wouldn't be killed for not um, um, converting to the Christian faith you know so it was it was just this uh, you know this this facade, uh, you know, and but in all of your travels, when you when you were with the travel agency or when you were a travel agent at that time, you ran into place after place after place that had all sorts of monuments and temples and um, mm. remembrances of the very influential goddesses. Uh, yeah, and. That's what began to fascinate you, and you thought, okay, I have the makings of a television series here <laughs> in search of ancient goddesses. And, and I think it would well, just make the most – yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, it, well, yeah, I mean, it, um, it, it didn't just fascinate me. To me, it validated the whole idea because at mm. the time, I think I took these trips um, trying to decide if this was something – that I could really wrap my mind around and believe in, you know, because mm-hmm. you remember I'd grown up a Catholic and this whole idea of the sacred feminine and with it, this overlay of feminism and everything, you know, equality for everyone, um, you know, it, it, going to the sacred sites really validated it. And for me, I wanted, you know, I felt like if I didn't find this till I was 30 years old and I knew that there were other people, obviously from where I had come from that had not even an inkling of this. And when I saw how important it was and, and how, mm-hmm how these ideas could change the world, how they could rewrite history. To me, it became a quest. You know, it was like my mission Mm -hmm. in life that this information had to be brought into the mainstream world. And that was when, you know, I started looking into ways and you and I started talking about how do we, how do we bring this to the mainstream world? And and I don't know if you remember. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go. Go, go. No, no, no. You said I don't know if you remember. I probably don't, but try me. Well, well I was going to say, I don't know if you remember when Oprah was looking for a new TV host. And um, I did a video and submitted it to Oprah as one of yeah. the and, – and in four days, we had 650,000 hits. You know, so that kind of goes back to what you said that there, you know, that there is would be an interest in something like this. You know, I think our problem, would you think back on it, Karen? uh, You presented this to uh, how how far did we get? I I presented it to PBS, and you presented it to upteen people. I think we always presented it to men, didn't we? I can't think of ever yes. making a pitch to a yes. woman. There, were, the there men, were no I, women to pitch to. I know. <laughs> there were, there were the no men. women to pitch to. 
them in that were making the decisions at the networks, cable and and uh, traditional uh, major. Uh, right. They were men. They were men. Yeah. And there are women in those positions, but we never got to them. We just got to the men, and they all said, "Nope, nobody's going to be interested in this," and they're wrong. Well, <laughs> I still well say but the wrong. interesting <laughs> thing, the interesting thing about this too is, I wonder if it's it. I've, I've always thought it was that because I was lucky enough to be in that that little documentary, Fem Women Healing the World, and mm-hmm. the producer of Fem said that he. I mean, even though he had the backing of actress Sharon Stone and a lot of other heavyweights, he said that the male gatekeepers were not interested in it and they Mm -hmm. would do nothing Mm -hmm. to distribute it and promote it. And so, yeah, so I think that is part of the problem. But the most recent, uh, you know, information that I stumbled on that really discouraged me uh, was when I went to uh, someone at NBC who had some power and influence. And he said they were too afraid of the evangelical Christians, that this would bend them out of shape. Yeah, he yeah, said they I would tr- bend them out of shape and they would go yeah. cr- like they did for Avatar. I don't know if you remember when Avatar came out, the Pope was even out there saying nature will never replace religion. I mean, this just gets under people's skin, you know, some people's skin on a really deep primal place. You know what? You're triggering. I've got a thousand thoughts. Can we have a six-hour show? <laughs> <laughs> Your trigger so many so many thoughts. I do want to tell you my Mary story because you talk about you came out of the Catholic background and and that's that's a really good story for people who have maybe had been Catholic or good story and we'll get back to it right now. What you're reminding me of though is that I am really really concerned about. You're going to get hate mail, not me. People don't know where I live, ha-ha. But uh, you're going to get all kinds of bad things when I say, I think the Me Too movement has just totally lost its mind and gone off the wrong direction. Because it started out, there's a saying that is, the further away you get from the concept, the more polluted the execution. And I think we've met that now with the Me Too movement. Women are out there demanding respect, and that makes me really sad for young girls who think that that's how you get respect that's how you get power that's how you get attention no you get it by how you live you get it by who you are the most respected women in the world the most powerful ones were rather quiet about the way they got their power you know you don't go out there Dressed as a body part and saying you're going to you're going to look at me and accept me as a woman. Really, you embarrass me. You embarrass me as a woman. You know, well, I just well, wait, think but, but that wait, we're not wait, wait, presenting wait. good good models for young people well, for young girls. Well, if you're well, I I, I might I might. And, you know, let's I'll put, you know, underline the word might. I might have to disagree with you here. If you're talking about the women you who go out okay. there. As as um, uh, objects, you know, sex objects, and mm. and demand respect. That's one thing. But I but I think um, the time, you know, I think women have tried. Uh, tried doing it by just you know living a nice quiet life you know and you know and, and trying nice, to set a good life. example. No, I, I'm not talking about 
um, you know, leave it to Beaver. I am talking about quiet power because the women that I can think of that I thought were the most powerful and that commanded world respect um, were uh, they didn't go out there and make spectacles and curse and demand that you respect them. And anyway, we could go off on a tangent on that, and I didn't mean to go off that far on it. I just think that there are few really worthwhile role models for young women today. And I think that we are scaring young men to pieces because they don't know anymore what their role is. They don't know what what women are asking. And women don't know either because they're looking at the wrong role models. But I don't yeah. want to get that far off course. <laughs> what I, the, well, I, I think Mary. that would be a whole show. That would be a whole show. You know, yes, I mean, indeed, it I, would. I, I, I mean, look, I agree with you that men are confused. Um, and but I think you know, and but I don't think um, I don't know. I can't agree with you that the women that the Me Too movement has gone too far. I think it's gotten to this point because um, you know women are just fed up. You know, and I think but they're demanding. I, they're, I don't know. They're, I mean. The, I remember I, I when. Mean, what, would um, the, what would the Harvey Wein, the women who Harvey Weinstein molested? I mean, should they well, have not been quiet? And and Bill Clinton. I mean, we could get into a whole thing here. But when I was in Hollywood, uh, I actually lost a television show. I had a morning talk show, and I lost it because the general manager got tickets for us. Uh, to a, a, a lodge in uh, Scottsdale, and I said to him, "Excuse me, aren't you married?" And he said, "What's that got to do with it?" And I said, "I, I heard you had six children." Well, I not only got fired, he screamed as I walked down the hall with my head up very high. He screamed after me, "You will never, never work in television again. I will ruin you." And I went home and cried because I didn't know that we had any recourse. I had no idea you could sue anybody over that. And some year, a couple of three years later, it wasn't really that long at all, a woman named Chris Kraft, who worked for KCMO, I think it was, television in Kansas City, got fired because she they told her she was too heavy to be a news anchor. And she sued them. And I, I was just... I was awed. I didn't know you could do that. Wow. <laughs> but, but, to me. but but I, I don't know. Maybe, never... maybe what I'm hearing you say, though, Esther, is they 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 took their grievances and they worked it out quietly in the courts. Um, and no, you didn't I'm talking even about know. strong women. No, I'm, no, no, no. Well, I'm I don't not know. I guess I, maybe that. I don't. I don't. Maybe I don't understand what you're saying then, um, because I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like women have gone too far, and sometimes I feel like they haven't gone far enough. Um, and it, I it just, just you know, I think they've lost. Uh, I, I don't know. But you're right. That's a whole other show because we could really get some into in some depth, depth things. When I worked at MGM, I can't think of a single job I had where where uh, the producers didn't make a pass. And I'm not even cute. Uh, it was just the way they grew up. It was just what they thought was yeah. acceptable. Um, yeah. I can't think of a single show that. I mean, I could I could repeat some things, or you'd be going, "Oh, that's not what this show is about." And so I so I won't. But <laughs> I I handled it really well. 
Uh, I, I never slapped anybody. I didn't have to. I raised my eyebrow and looked at them, and that never happened again. Um, I just went on with my business, and it, it really never happened twice with, from the same person, but it happened once with everybody. So it was, it was a generational thing. It really was. Yeah. And and it it took you know a lot of things to get past that point. I do remember that there was a, a women's movement, and they called and wanted me to pick it with them, Gloria Allred, and I forget who all. And at the time, I was production coordinator on Chips, and or the you know, TV show Chips. And, uh, yeah, I remember. So they they called, and they wanted me to come out and pick it with them. And I said, well, what are we picketing for? And she said, uh, well, for higher wages. And I said, are you kidding I finished the ninth grade, and I'm with a major studio, and I'm a production coordinator on a national television show, and I was executive assistant to the senior vice president of, of, MGM, of yeah, MGM TV. I've had one good job after the other, and you want me to jeopardize my job and come out there and pick it with you because whatever whatever reason, you all can't get a good job? No way. <laughs> well, but I, but so I, I, had a bad but I think attitude. the whole point... <laughs> But I, th- but I think Esther, the whole point was you probably would have been making a lot more if you uh, doing what you were doing if you were a man. I no, that's not true. No, absolutely not true. Uh-uh. No. Well, I mean, because you remember. you see all the actresses that that are paid a fraction of what their male counterparts are paid. Well, you're, but I'm talking about in that particular instance. That wasn't true because that's a set. That's union, and you're going to get paid what oh. you get paid. But why? Uh, that brings up a great point. This is so far off from what we were going to talk about. I know. I'm I know. Sorry, I know. I'm digressing and poor Gladys. Here. We 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 forgot about you know we we said we were going to go back yeah, to the Gladys' story too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, we were talking about the influence of women and how the goddesses actually people worship them. They rule their societies by them. And I was watching a documentary about a month ago. And it was on two women fishermen in China. And I didn't know this, and it was really impressive. They started their morning uh, at dawn, and they would meet out on the pier, the dock, whatever that thing is. They're going to get in their boats. And they turned toward the sunrise, and they prayed to a goddess. And it's the goddess, maybe mm-hmm. you know this goddess, I don't. It's the goddess of fishing and seas and things like that. Anyway, uh, the men fishermen, and they're the only two women that have their own fishing line. They rest, they, and the men told them, you'll never succeed. You're not strong enough. You're not this or that. And the women are doing great, these two women. But the men also stop and and give their respect and pray to this same goddess, and that's mm-hmm. how their mornings start. Uh, you probably knew that, yeah. but that was news to me. I didn't know that. So that's going on even today. I was surprised because I didn't know people still worshipped goddesses today. But that's yeah, very all around the world. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, all around, I, all around the world. I mean, uh, I, I mean, uh, your country after country. Probably knew that, but I didn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I mean in men in men worship goddesses as well. You know, I mean I was just saying, you know, uh, Paul got wasn't run out of town by a you know a, a throng of women, you know, for trying to get uh, the people to, you know, get rid of their Artemis. You know, he was run out of town by men and women. Uh but, yeah. and and I I don't I mean look, I would like to say that where goddesses were worshiped, women were respected, but I can't make that blanket statement. You know, that uh, that no, that's I, not true. True, but, uh, but I true but I think you can they, say. Yeah. Well, I, I think maybe the the female was looked upon differently at different times in history, you know, because it, it, you have to look at the time in history, you have to look at the place in history. Um, I, I mean, it, it it's it's not an easy subject. It varies from time period, That's place, and everything and it, else. Uh, yes, absolutely, and culture to culture. Yes. yes. But I think women are, I, I don't think the world, except for your listeners and people who know this subject in particular, which I don't know that subject in particular. I took a bigger interest when I met you than I probably ever had before. But I just found it astounding that goddesses had such uh, such powerful influences on societies and whole civilizations and, yeah. and they were held in in such esteem. And there well, are, I mean, the women it, of the Bible are very important. Many women in the Bible, and people don't like to think about that. But can I just kind of say when we talk about belief systems, you know, most of what we believe is something somebody else told us or was imposed on us. Mm-hmm. I, when I talk about seeing Dean. I have two very good friends here. He's a retired minister, so she's minister's wife. Gosh, they do a lot of good work. They're always, mm-hmm. they make me feel like a really slimy person because I don't do any of those good works that they spend all of their time doing. Well, she got my book, Dear Dean Love Mom, and she had to tell me, she said, I couldn't read it past the 13th page. And I said, Why? And she said, because I don't believe like that. Now, I find that interesting, Karen, because I said to her, and I meant it, I didn't write about a belief. I wrote about an experience. I can't tell you what the experience means, because that would be a belief. And I don't know what it means. I may not know in this lifetime what it meant. But I know it happened. Now, if I told you that I went to the store today and I bought a loaf of bread, and you say, I don't want to hear that, I don't believe it. What is it you don't believe, that I didn't (laughs) go to the store or that I didn't get the bread? I mean, I'm telling you, Dean appeared to me, and there was a witness on the phone because that was her son with him. Now, I'm not telling you, I'm not paraphrasing what God is saying. I'm not telling you what it means from a theologian's point of view because I don't know. But I do Mm -hmm. know the two boys were there. And I do know that in my heart I felt that Dean's smile, his twinkly eyes, and his big smile said, See, Mom, tell her, life's eternal. Love's eternal. Mm -hmm. Love and Mm -hmm. life are eternal. And I went out then, well, it took me 13 years to gather the courage to do it because I didn't think anybody would believe me. 
And so I kept having, as you know from reading the book, I kept having these kinds of miracles happen over and over and over until Mm -hmm. finally something happened right here in Topeka, Kansas that uh, got through to me. And I just came home and fell on my knees and beside the bed, just weak, really weak. I just couldn't believe I was so overwhelmed with the knowledge that I was to write the book and go out and give the simple message that life and love are eternal. It's that simple. I don't have any more to say than that because I don't know any more right. than that. But yeah. it took them 13 years to get that through. I'll tell you my Mary story now, okay? And and, and we've got to make sure we talk about Gladys that, that's before the Mary we go. Story. That's the Mary oh, okay. story. Oh, okay. 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 All right. Now, so you know this story very well, so this is just for your listeners. Every year they have a function here, an event at the library. It's called Kansas 50 Greatest Writers or some such. And for some reason, I think they only had 49 and had to find somebody else because every year I participate. And uh, this particular year, uh, it goes all day Saturday. And by the time the day is over, everybody's tired and you pack up what you didn't sell and you go home. In between times, not not a lot of the public come. <laughs> they don't really know we're there, I don't think. But we get to visit with each other. We see a lot of authors we haven't seen since the last year. And they always want to give you their books. And I really don't want their books. I want to write books. I don't want to read your books. Thank you. <laughs> well, I hear you. God love them. I don't have time. <laughs> I yeah, no, well, I know what you mean. Uh, they come up and they say, I'll trade you a book. No, I, I have bills to pay. I want to give you a book. <laughs> anyway, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, the day was ending and I was packing up my things. And this gentleman, my first thought was that he was a missionary. In my mind, there's a way a missionary looks. He was a little over middle-aged, uh, thinning brown hair, um, just had the sweetest countenance about him, very, very clear eyes, very clear skin, just there was a sweet missionary look about him, and he had on a, a nice suit, and he said, um, my wife would like for you to have a copy of her book, so you know what I'm thinking, oh, don't give me a copy of your book, honey, I won't read it, anyway, I said, well, Thank you, that's sweet of you, because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And he said, um, she died and went to heaven, and she's not a writer, but she tried so hard to tell her story. Now, that did get my attention. So now I'm not just being polite. Now I'm, I'm really, really paying attention to him. And I said, really? And he said, yes. He said, um Ministers have actually given whole sermons based on her experiences, not just locally, but other places too. And I said, well, I will read it, and I meant that. And he said, she's out in the rotunda, has her table out there. So as you're leaving, if you could stop by and say hello, I know she would appreciate it. And I said, I certainly will. Thank you. Well, I after he walked away, I looked inside, and the book said, to Esther... God bless Gladys Hargis. I was 
autograph to me. Well, I started helping somebody else pack up their books, and time kind of got away from me. And by the time I had my little suitcase, my little roll-along all filled and was ready to leave, and I went through the rotunda, it was cleared out. Nobody was there, so I didn't get to meet Gladys. Now, I'd just been diagnosed with wet macular degeneration. In fact, my doctor told me I was going to be blind by Friday. And thank God he didn't tell me which Friday because I'm still fine. But <laughs> every Friday I wonder. Anyway, um, I was months later, I was sitting in my living room, and I all of a sudden started thinking, golly, I see well. I don't feel like I'm going blind. I see really well. I looked around for something to pick up a book, and all of my books are in bookshelves and things, and there was nothing really lying around except on the little telephone table beside me that's too small to hold a book. And and there was a book. And I thought, how did that get there? I don't, first of all, I hadn't been reading books because my vision wasn't good enough that I could read print. I could see my computer because of the light behind the screen, but I couldn't really read a book in print. Well, anyway, I thought, gee, my vision seems so good. I picked up the book, and it was You Live Forever by Gladys Hargis. And as I started reading this very slender volume, I was really taken. No, she's not a writer. But that made it all the more genuine. It made it all the more believable about her experience of dying and actually going to a place that we perceive as heaven. And an angel escorted her there. And um, once she, well, let, let me go back to looking at her book. I was very taken by the story, and I believed her. It was published so poorly that every single page had horrible errors in it. And they weren't her errors. They were technical errors done by the publisher. And I thought, this is a shame. This book should be read by the public. Everybody needs to know this story. So I came in and I, uh, we, we still have telephone books here in Topeka, and I looked in the phone book and I found um, Warren Hargis, it said, but I figured that was her because there was only one Hargis, and I called and she answered. And I, I introduced myself. I said, I was just reading your book, and it's lovely. May I ask who published it? And she told me. And I said, would I hurt your feelings if I tell you that every page has major errors, and this is a book that really should be read by the public. May I may I fix it for you? <laughs> I won't charge you, but I'd like to edit it for you, and I'd like to publish it for you. And no charge. I just want it to be out there and to be correct. And she's... If you remember the movie star Margie May, not not many people old enough to remember her, but anyway, big booming voice like a farm lady. She said, well, honey, thank you. And she invited me over. Driving over, just as I got to turn off to her house, I thought, gee, I hope her husband was there. What a pleasant man. What a sweet man. I hope he's there. I'd like to see him again. So I go into her house, and this great big six-foot lady that just surrounds me with her bosoms when she hurt me, <laughs> she hugged me, and she said, come on in, honey. 
And I, she's sitting in this great big chair, and I sat on a little footstool in front of her. And she began to tell me about her experience in heaven, how she died in the hospital. Uh, a male angel came, and she didn't. She thought he was an orderly until she realized that she was walking with him through the wall. And she tells me her experience while she was gone, and she asked him, she said, my husband's very, very ill. May I please go back and take care of him? He has nobody else. I'll be glad to come back here, but just let me take care of him while he's so ill. So the angel indicated that he would go and ask, and he went and conferred with two other angels standing in front of a gate that led to a golden city way off in the distance. And while they conferred, Gladys saw a garden off to her left, said she never saw such beautiful flowers in her life. And when the angel came back, he said, you've been given permission to go back, but you are on borrowed time, which she thought was an odd thing for an angel to say borrowed time. So she said, before I go, May I walk into the garden? That's just beautiful. And he said, yes, you may. Now, she walks into the garden, and there on a bench that she said looked like a marble bench was this lovely young lady. And she stared at the woman because she recognized her. And the lady looked back at Gladys and indicated that she should come and sit beside her on the bench. Now, it looked marble, but as Gladys sat on the bench, it changed to the contour of her body. And she said it was fascinating. It was the most comfortable place, the most beautiful place. And so this lady began speaking to her, telling her that love was the most important thing on the planet. And Anyway, she wrote another book, Beyond the Veil, and talked about what all the woman said to her. She realized that she was speaking to the mother of Jesus. This was Mary. And wow. she said to, so she said to her, finally she got the courage to speak to her, and she said, why are you telling me? Why are you talking to me? I'm not Catholic. And Mary said, I'm not either. Isn't that great? <laughs> so Gladys said, <laughs> Gladys said she got from that, all right, the Catholic have embraced her, but she embraces all. Uh, and she really, uh, anyway, she very, very moved by that story. So she's telling me this story, and I'm listening, and behind her is a shelf, and on the shelf is a framed picture of the gentleman who gave me a copy of her book. But she's talking about how she came back from heaven. She tended to her husband. He died. And uh, she realized that she's on borrowed time, and we're going back any time now. And I said, I'm thinking to myself, this great big farm lady, how did she luck out and have two wonderful husbands? And so I, looking at that picture behind her, I said to her, so... That gentleman, then, is your second husband. And she said, well, honey, I only had one. And I said, you only had one? You said he died. Yep, died three years ago. I said, Gladys, 
do you know how I got your book? And she said, well, I don't have any idea. I said, he gave it to me. And she laughed and she slapped her thigh and she said, well, he's done a couple of things like that since he's been gone. Yep, he wants me to get that book published right, doesn't he? (laughs) What an incredible story. (laughs) That is, yeah. What an incredible story. Yeah. Mm. But I like the Mary part, too. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Well, well, um, we're we've actually gone over about a half hour here, Esther. So we're oh, going to have Lord, to wrap it no. up. But oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no apologies. I mean, we, uh, you know, we the time is available, so uh, it, it's not a problem. But I want to make sure we mention to listeners how they can get your book. So you have Dear Dean, Love Mom, which is the one I started talking about that I love so much. That's still available oh, on Amazon or where? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's. It's never been out of print. Yes, it's on Amazon, and uh, Evidence of God is on Amazon. But then I think I have, I think I saw the other day that I have 31 mysteries out there. But uh, Now, Evidence of God, that's the one that tells stories like Gladys's story, right? Yes. Well, it tells about evidence, you know, how God is evident in our life. We can call it coincidence. We can call it whatever fluke. You can call it whatever you want. But times when you know we had more time i'll tell more stories but when there definitely was a power in evidence right 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 how you interpret that that gets into again theology yeah you may have a totally different interpretation but what i can tell you is that it's the universe at work it's not a right Yes. And now Gladys's book, where she tells the Mary story uh, that, that uh, you ended up helping her with, if someone were interested in that one, what's what's the title? How did they find that one? I have no idea if it's still available. She died. And I don't know. Uh, I have a feeling that the book is not still available. Uh, they're welcome to oh. go on Amazon and look. Uh, it was called You Live Forever. And okay. then uh, she, she wrote another one just a month before she died called Beyond the Veil. And that was, she had a hard time with it because she said, how do I write what Mary said to me? It was so personal, but I feel like I'm supposed to. Of course, she's not a writer and that's very evident. Mm -hmm. But again, that was its charm to me was that was why I believed it because she struggled to find the words. They weren't fancy words. They weren't, you know, schmoozy words. Right. They were genuine right, words. Right. Well, and, you know, there's so many old things on Amazon. I mean, there's always a possibility it might be there in a used book as well. Um, so what was oh, Gladys' yeah, last absolutely. name? Hargis, what was H-A-R-G-I-S, yeah. Okay. Well, and as long as we're talking about books, I will mention to listeners that uh, the new my new anthology is out. I just started to say, uh, just let's talk this about week. your book now. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. just What's real the quick. Name of it? Yeah. Uh, it's called What's Awaken. The Awaken the uh, the the title is Awaken the Feminine. The subtitle is Dismantling Domination to Restore Balance on Mother Earth. It's a mouthful. Uh, oh, but it's, that is uh, a whole other wonderful program. Oh my gosh, and we're not—we're <laughs> not as as diverse uh, in our beliefs about women as probably came out when we did, the, because we're 
we're talking about a bunch of things, and we really only skimmed across the surface. I think we're very much together on believing oh, I do too. in. I do too. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, Just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely more on the same page than not. And absolutely. Um, yeah, I, and and I mean, awaken the feminine is a is a great selection of women and men uh, offering a lot of different ideas about how to incorporate. Um, uh, what we would call, what we would label feminine values into the world to um, Mm -hmm. uh, try to replace the domination of patriarchy and, um, you know, oppression and, uh, you know, the the lack of uh, fairness and democracy and everything else. In fact, one of my essays is about the, the loss of uh, the journalism as the fourth estate, you know, and how oh, that's domination. Oh, that's another. Oh, that's another whole whole program too. I'm, don't <laughs> even get me started on that because we're already over time. But there's a there is a loss of values. Period. And I loved what you said that paragraph that I sent out to people, but it was on your website. I just cut and pasted from it. And you're talking about. Uh, are we not all sickened by what we see on the news? Are we not embarrassed by what we're passing off as values today? And that is where we would get into another whole thing about who is setting up the standards today. That concerns me greatly. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a. <laughs> Yeah, it it sure is, you know, because when we turn on the television and from the highest office in the land, um, we see no values, and we see people supporting that lack of values. Um, well, we have a problem. I'm really talk- I am talking more about when we turn on television and we see the most crude language concepts passing itself off as humor, and we're all saying it's okay, and it's not okay. That's influencing young people. When when I turn on television and I go from channel to channel looking for something to just have while I'm having a cup of tea, and all I see is bloodletting, foul language, and morbidity, morbid violence, and we all sit back and say, oh, it's okay. Let's let Hollywood turn that out. I don't know why our kids are shooting each other. Well, because we have robbed them of anything of value. We've robbed them of anything that is uplifting. We've allowed this by patting Hollywood on the head and saying it's okay. And it's darn well not okay. It is not. Well. Well, I think we've, um, to a certain extent, we have replaced uh, values and role models with celebrity. And, you know, but again, that's a a whole nother. It is, isn't it? But when you turn on the news and they tell you about movie stars and who's dating whom and who came to a premiere without a bra, excuse me, Edward R. Murrow must be turning over in his grave. There you go. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just do an all-day marathon. What? <laughs> well, anyway, Esther, it's, it's, you, it's been fun catching up with you again, and, and I love your stories. And um, I would I would highly recommend uh, my listeners uh, check out your book, Dear Dean, Love Mom. I love the book. Uh, I haven't read any of your mysteries yet, but uh, I may, you know, now that I'm uh, semi-retired, I may actually get to that one of these days. Uh, well, but I, for any I'm of the... Glad to send you one as a gift. 
Oh, <laughs> but, thank uh, you. I wish it, you so much luck on your new book. And thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was always so much fun to talk to and so knowledgeable. And I don't I don't know about the goddesses like you do and your listeners do. But we all still have some basic values that we can go back and we all agree on those, even if we don't always agree on the same way to reach our our valued place. Well, you know, there's so much common ground there. I mean, and I think yeah. that's the important thing. And, you know, and, and I'll just close with this thought, and it, it inspired me today. You know, last Thanksgiving, I remember watching CBS Morning News, and there was something on it about how to talk to your uncle uh, over the dinner table for Thanksgiving if, you know, he doesn't agree with you politically. Well, this mm. year it was different. Um, This year they said how to find common ground with your uncle who you don't agree with politically. And I think until we can find common ground with people who do do maybe have uh, different ideas than us, um, I think we're going to be in trouble. You know, it's where we find the common ground that we can come together and make good things happen. And, um, you know, I I, I think that's the only thing that will help – you know that that will break through the polarization and the hate and the distrust uh, is finding common ground. And you know, and I think as women, um, you know, I, I said this when I was in Turkey once, and you know, we were on a, a, a in a tour bus, and I looked out out I looked out at the women in um, um, the beekeeper outfits. My brain, I can't remember the, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it dressed all black. Their eyes just, you know, uh, yeah. why can't I think of what you call them? And um, uh, I and I thought to myself, you know, just in my deepest gut, that yeah, there's an we're so different, but we're also so alike. You know, we're mothers and sisters and women, and we have so many of the same needs and desires and values. Um, You know, and if we just focused on those things, you know, over a meal, uh, cooking together, having tea together, having wine together, um, you know, uh, I I don't know, it just feels like to me uh, things could be solved. Um, if, but, but, you know, there are people out there who have a, a, an, an investment in keeping us divided. And those people, oh, we absolutely. can't let them win. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You're just triggering another three-hour conversation, so we're going to have to <laughs> hang up, I know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah we better. I, I just... I, I love you so much, and I thank you so much. And you're going through an awful lot right now. So I tell your listeners to keep a good thought for you because you've got a lot on your plate right now. And good luck oh, in everything. Oh, thank you, Esther. Thank you. We'll be fine. And um, I just want to wish you and all my listeners out there a wonderful holiday, however you spend it. And, you know, I would just say look for that common ground rather than the things that divide us because that uh, I think that's the antidote. Make a choice that you're going to have a peaceful state of mind, that you're going to see the good in everything, not because it's trite or because it's easy, because it's the hardest thing in the world to do, is to see the good when there's chaos all around you. So make a decision to see it that way. It's just going to be easier on yourself and everybody else. Okay, darling, thank you for a wonderful time. Goodbye to everybody. All right. Bye. Talk to you soon. Good night. Bye, honey. Good night. Bye-bye. 
Well, that about does it for me here tonight. Um, I will be back with you uh, next Wednesday. And uh, I just want to say if in the next few weeks while I am in transition, uh, if the schedule gets a little bit askew, don't panic. Uh, I will be back. Uh, By January, things will be back on track. So uh, I would just invite you to... um, Uh, Take a look at the archives if you're uh, hankering for a show or an interview, and I don't have a new one uh, live that particular week. There's lots of great stuff in the archives from lots lots of uh, foremothers, way showers, wisdom keepers. Uh, I I think, um, you know, there'll be a lot there to uh, keep you interested. So that about does it uh, for me tonight, dear listeners. Thank you again for your listener loyalty. If you can find it in your heart uh, to uh, go to my Facebook page, KarenTate.com, or my PayPal page and send a a donation uh, to help uh, pay for airtime, that would be great, and I sure appreciate it. Uh, Well, that about does it for me. Uh, I've got lots to do tonight to get ready for tomorrow, as I'm sure you do too. Uh, So we'll just call it a night. And uh, we'll close on a little bit of music here. Uh, How about um, Am Sekhmet by Abigail Spinner McBride. Good night, dear listeners.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.